Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation, it's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. Here are your hosts, Tyler and Charlie. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA Podcast. I'm Tyler, and back with me in studio in the heart of the Classic City is my co-host Charlie, and today we're going to finally try to put at least a little bit of a dent in our growing list of mailbag questions. They keep coming, guys. That's great. Keep sending them in. We will get to all of them throughout the offseason. I know, I have to admit, we haven't been exactly great over the past couple of weeks at fitting at least a few questions into each episode like we had been planning to do. I think we start off doing that pretty well once the offseason first started, but we've kind of faded over the past couple weeks trying to fit some different things in here. So we're going to try to change that starting today. We're going to do a full-on mailbag episode today, an old-school mailbag episode to try to make some progress with answering all these questions. And then moving forward, the rest of the offseason, I promise you, we will do a better job of trying to answer at least a couple of questions in each episode. We've got about nine or ten, I think, Charlie has put together that we're going to try to get to today. And then if we have some time... We might engage in another edition of Georgia Tennis Talk to close out the show today for those that are interested. And if you're not interested, that's cool too. Uh, speaking of tennis, Charlie, I know you had a big match this weekend. How'd it go? I'm going to talk to you about that. Did you win? You oh, me personally? Yeah, personally. Yeah, you. Yes, I did win. And you my team won. won. Your team won. Yeah, won four out of five. So were you playing doubles or singles? I played singles. Nobody wants to play singles. But you do? I don't mind it. You don't mind it? Because no. you're oh, because all the women you play with are old. Is that just no, this, the reality? She was younger than me this time. But I mean, on your team, you said no one else wants to play. Yeah, They're I, older. They don't move as well. No, I mean, a lot of them are around my age. I just think But you've also had like seven knee surgeries. Like, you don't even move well. Thanks. No, you move. For someone Thanks. who's had as many like knee problems as you've had, you move pretty well. Because I don't know if our listeners, I don't know if our listeners know this. You used to be like a pretty competitive gymnast back in the day before your knees fell off right yeah until i realized i was gonna really hurt myself right and then once that happened then you kind of had to step back but now you're getting into tennis which is like your whole second life yeah so congrats what was the score thanks uh tie breaks six two six two six two six two yeah wow kind of running her over yeah i like Not this really, but i mean yeah six two six two that's a pretty dominant win thanks that's big time still think you can beat me mm-hmm yeah really yep 
All right, challenge accepted. We need to make okay. this happen. We need to like figure out a way to, I know this is like a, it's not a visual medium, this podcast. We need to figure out a way to document this. Like we need to have a match, you and me. It's like we play together. We don't actually like play matches against each other, but like we've hit the ball around, but we need to play together. We need to document this for all of our listeners. I don't know if anyone actually cares. I don't think anyone cares But that would be, that that'd be fun. It would be fun. Because you, I mean, you probably would beat me. Okay, you volley better than me, more consistently than me. Your backhand's way better than my backhand. Like you can actually hit winners with your backhand. I my backhand's like just keep the ball in play and try to and try to get around my forehand. And let's see what happens. That's I mean, true. Maybe maybe you would beat me, but there's a chance I could beat you. There's a chance. You've been playing longer than I have. Got to throw that out there. But you know, I, that's impressive. Six two six two. Congrats on that. Congrats. But all right, we'll we'll talk more tennis later. I know that's not what we're here to do to start things off. We've got a lot of questions to get to. We've got a mostly football question. I think did you get, pull out a one or two basketball questions? Also, I think I saw in there. I yes. think yeah, a couple to end the sh- in in the mailbag with. Okay, so we got a lot of football stuff to talk about today. A couple of basketball things, and if we have some time at the end, we will also get to a little Georgia tennis talk as well for those of you who are into that kind of thing. But all right, Charlie, where are we starting? Let's go ahead and get this thing rolling. All right. Well, with the emergence of JT Daniels and how we look down the stretch, a lot of fans are excited about the possibilities in 2020. And with that in mind, James says that he read recently that Danny Sheridan said that if Georgia does not win the national championship this year, that is not going to happen for a long time. So Tyler, do you think Georgia's window closes after the 2021 season? And if not, how long does that window stay open? It's actually a really good question. I appreciate the opportunity to address this, James. This is a really good question. I think this was, uh, he's referring to Danny Sheridan, who I think he went on the Paul Feinbaum show a couple of weeks ago. So this question was one of those that was sent in like two weeks ago. And I wanted to get to it like when James initially sent this question in, but we just had a few other things to get to. And I, and I, I knew this was probably one of those questions that I would probably spend a good chunk of time talking about. And we shouldn't have time to get to it. But now we have time to get to it. And I think what he said, I'm trying to pull this up right here. What did he say? All right. Danny Sheridan, Paul Feynman Show. Uh, let's see. Okay. So, yeah, here's what he said about Georgia. He said, basically, he said that he thinks that we're going to be one of the four teams in the college football playoff this year. But he didn't stop there. He went on, and this is what I guess James is upset about. He says that I would say the fourth team is in the fourth team in the playoffs would be Georgia. I think Georgia is loaded, so there's a compliment, but here's where he kind of goes off the rails a little bit. If Georgia does not win this year, they are not going to win for a long time. And by win, I mean get to the Final Four. So what Danny Sheridan, I mean, flat out said there is that if we don't get to the playoffs this year, we are not getting back to the playoffs for a long time. Those are his words on the Paul Feinbaum show. So I think that's what James is referring to. So my response to that, my first response just be like, huh? Like, I mean, I didn't hear him say this live. I don't really listen to the Paul Feinbaum show very much. But, you know, you see, you're on social media, you see these things get plastered all over the place. And I did see this when it, when it, uh, I think that day they posted something and I saw it on Twitter. And I, my first response was like, huh? Like, w- what are you talking about? Like, and I'm still today, like, trying to devise an answer here for James. I'm still trying to figure out what in the world Danny Sheridan's actually really talking about. Like, I, I, again, I haven't listened to the actual sound clip, but reading what he said, the text of what he said, the transcript, it just really sounds like Danny Sheridan, like he just came off as like this old man who is completely out of touch with the current realities of college football. Like it's like, it sounds like one of those like casual fans who, who knows the big names, but that's about it. Doesn't really know what's truly going on with the sport. So 
maybe he's thinking that, okay, looking at Georgia this year, we have JT Daniels come back in 2021. We finished the year really strong. And if we don't win it with him this year, we're done. We have no chances because like we have nothing behind JT to come in and help us at quarterback. Because I mean, again, he's probably looking at last year and saw what we were offensively before Daniels was inserted as a starter. So from that perspective, okay, maybe I can kind of get where he's coming from. But come on, like I hope that's not what he's thinking and where his mind is. Because if that's the case, that's about as lazily and clueless of a take as you can have when it comes to college football. If you're saying, well, you know, we have JT Daniels this year, but after JT Daniels, like, you know, I mean, Georgia doesn't really have anybody. Like, let's just completely forgive out the five-star quarterback we just signed, Brock Vandegrift, the guy that we've got committed right now, and uh, Gunnar Stockton. Let's just forget about those guys. And now he didn't mention anything specifically about quarterbacks. But, I mean, this is me just trying to get into his head. Like, what is he possibly thinking there? But going back to the idea, like, our window, like, does our window close after the 2021 season? Like, is this it? Is this what the season that we've been building to? And after 2021, if we don't make it happen this year, it's, it's all over for Kirby Smart and Athens, and we have no chance to get back to the playoffs anytime soon. Like, to me, that's crazy talk. And I know some people have been sitting there, like, it always happens when you, when you run a Georgia podcast like this. They'll say, oh, Tyler, you're just a homer. And, and I'm sure, in some ways, absolutely sure. Of course I am. But I also try to be as objective as I can in my analysis of where we are as a program. And look, I don't know how you can objectively look at the Georgia program, the roster that we have, the way we recruit and say, yeah, Georgia's window is over after 2021. It's now or never in 2021. That's just crazy talk to me. I mean, think about what I always say, guys. What I always say is like winning big in college football comes down to three things. It's talent acquisition, like recruiting the players, talent development, coaching them up, and talent deployment, making sure you're putting those guys in the best position to be successful with how you call plays and how you structure your offense and defense, right? And all three are important in their own ways. They carry different weight. I personally believe that talent acquisition, the recruiting aspect, is the most important part of winning big at the college level. I mean, just look at Alabama, for example, right? They, they just won again this year. They're the perfect example here. Why has Alabama dominated the sport for a decade plus? Sure, Nick Saban's a great coach and they've had a lot of great coaches there, but the primary reason why they've been so dominant for a decade plus and sustain that level of dominance is because they have better players. Now, you maybe can say part of having better players is having the coaches that can go recruit those players. I'll absolutely allow that for sure. But Alabama, over the last 11 years, guys, they've had the number one class in the country nine of the last 11 years. That's why they dominate. They just year in, year out, typically are going to have a better roster than just about every single team out there. Doesn't mean they're not gonna have injuries like when Tua gets hurt. Doesn't mean they might not have a transition year here or there. But year in, year out, that team, that program is more talented than pretty much every single team that could possibly step on the field against. So that's why Alabama, in my opinion, has been as dominant as they have been for a decade plus. They just have better players. But over the past five to six years, since Kirby Smart has gotten to Athens, who has at, at the very least the second best roster, who's been right there neck and neck recruiting with Alabama, who's actually been the only program to surpass Alabama in the recruiting rankings over the past decade, it's been the Georgia Bulldogs. They've had the number one class in nine of the last 11 years. Well, the two years they didn't have the number one class, who was it that surpassed them? That's right. It was Kirby Smart and the Georgia Bulldogs. We literally have, at the very least, the second most talented roster in all of America. And if you go back, actually look at the 247 composite rankings they do for the overall team roster. 247 does this every single year, at least the past couple years heading into the season. We mentioned this earlier this year, but going into the 2020 season, 
Georgia had the number one most talented roster based on 247 composite recruiting rankings, the number one most talented roster in the entire country. And we'll see where we land going into 2021, but I'll tell you what, it'll probably at the very least be in the top three. It wouldn't shock me if we're number one or number two yet again going into 2021. So if recruiting and having the talent on your roster is as important to winning at a high level at the college level as I think it is, then why on earth would anyone suggest that our window is going to close after 2021? That if we don't make the playoffs and win big in 2021, that it's just not going to happen for years and years, like Danny Sheridan suggested on the Paul Feinbaum show. It just doesn't, it it defies logic. It doesn't really make any sense at all. I will die on this hill. I'm not going to say that we're always going to win the SEC or that we're even always going to win the SEC East necessarily, although I think we'll win it most years under Kirby Smart. But under Kirby Smart, we are always going to have one of the two to three most talented rosters in the country. That's not changing. That's what that guy does. He's a recruiting machine himself, and he has built a recruiting machine with our recruiting infrastructure. And we also have an incredible product to sell. It's not like it's, not like it's hard to sell the University of Georgia. We just saw the number three class in 2020. Or at least, I'm sorry, the 2021 class was number three. The 2020 class was number one. Those guys are only going to be sophomores. We currently are number two in the 2022 rankings. I know it's very early, but we're off to a hot start in 2022, and that's normally not the case. So it'd be very exciting to see where we end up in this class. So we're going to have the players. And that doesn't mean that we're going to be in the playoffs every year because there are transition years where you have a young quarterback, like let's say Oklahoma had this year with Spencer Rattler, or you have some injuries like we had this year. One of your rivals has one of those flash in the pan years. That happens. So it's not always like we're going to win. We're going to be in the playoffs every single year. That's not what I'm trying to suggest. I'm just suggesting the idea that Georgia's window to win big is going to close for this year. I'm suggesting that's insane. Now, I will grant Danny Sheridan this. I will say that I will agree that we have a much better chance to win it all in 2021 than 2022 because we have the experience on defense. We have JT Daniels, an experienced starting quarterback. I love Brock Vandegrift. I love Gunnar Stockton. I think whoever wins that job, and maybe Carson Beck, who knows? Whoever wins that job is going to be a big time player for us. But 2022 will be the, it'll be a first year starter. And we're also losing a lot of the defensive front seven. So I think we'll be good in 2022. I don't think we're going to fall off a cliff. I expect this to be right there competing for the SEC East title. But I don't think we're going to be as good in 2022 as of right now. We'll see what happens as we're going to be in 2021. Now, maybe Sheridan's point was that Alabama won't be as good this year. So if we're ever going to get over the hump, this is the year to get over the Alabama hump. Maybe that's what he's trying to say. Uh, And Alabama being in our conference does always make it tougher for us. But again, to say our window closes after this year is flat out utterly absurd. And it just betrays a complete lack of knowledge of the current landscape of college football. And I'll stop there, Charlie. I could probably go on for another 10 minutes, but I know I'm looking at you and you're like, oh my God, just stop. So I'm going to stop. All right. Well, we all know that Florida fans were really feeling good about themselves after how the game went in Jacksonville this past season. And Cliff says, apparently some UF fans still have the belief that the Gators own the dogs. Just how delusional are they? And I'm going to go ahead and just give you the floor because I can sense another rant. Yeah, another coming. impassioned so, Tyler rant. When you bring up Florida. Let's just keep it below 15 minutes, okay? Deal. I, 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 okay, all right. I, I can do this in like a couple of minutes. Well, but when you bring up Dan Mullen in Florida and the idea that People out there suggest that they are the superior program in the SEC East. That just, it gets me going. It gets me going. But own the dogs? Okay, congrats, Florida. You had a good year this year. But owning Georgia? Owning Georgia? One win means you own Georgia? I I mean, 
and look, I know that's not all Florida fans. I, I don't want to lump them all together, but there are a very uh, vocal, at least let's say a vocal minority of Florida fans who have lost their mind after this season. And look, all fan bases in college football are delusional. Pretty much by definition, we're all delusional. Georgia fans, Florida fans, Alabama fans. Well, Alabama, fan, Alabama is incredible. They're not delusional. They are fantastic. Auburn fans, Tennessee fans, you name it. They're all they're all delusions. Some more so than others. Absolutely. But uh, Florida, man, like after this past year, there are certainly, um, there's a like vocal segment of their fan base that is def- redefining delusion right now. And I'm not even mad about it. I-, I honestly, I laugh about it. I think it's hilarious. Like, sure, yeah, Florida, you beat that mash unit that we put on the field this year in Jacksonville with no Richard LeCount, no Jordan Davis, no George Pickens, Stetson Bennett as our starting quarterback, and then we go up 14-0, go up two touchdowns, and he gets knocked out, his shoulder's messed up, and then Pickens' replacement had his leg fall off after scoring a touchdown, so you want to pump your chest about that? I mean, cool. Sure, go ahead. I mean, if that's what you want to do, I mean, by all means. I guess if you're Florida and it's just been so long since you really had much to cheer about at all and you've been owned by Georgia for as long as they have in the past five or six years, I guess that's what you do. You pump your chest about things and you ignore context. But everyone with a half-functioning cerebral cortex knows that by the end of last season, we were the best team in the SEC East. And yeah, too little, too late. Absolutely, that that's on us, all right? Being in that position... I mean, can't do much about the Jamie Newman situation and, and the JT Daniels knee injury and all that. I know people like to kill Kirby for that, but like the guy wasn't healthy. All right. That's just the fact of the matter. He wasn't healthy. So it was too little too late. But when we got healthy, when we got Jordan Davis back, when George Pickens comes back, when we have JT Daniels inserted as our starting quarterback, when he finally gets healthy enough to, to make that happen, when everything is finally straightened out, we were the better team down the stretch. If we would have played Florida in the bowl game, well, even before, let's say if we would have played Florida in the season finale, as opposed to when we played them in October in Jacksonville, or was that November this year, in Jacksonville, we would have beaten them. I firmly believe that. Now, anything can happen in one given game, but I firmly believe that we would have beaten them. I think we were the best team. I think most people, again, with the half-functioning cerebral cortex, would admit that. And I think Florida fans know that too. They won't admit it out loud, but they know it. That's why so many of them do so much chirping on social media. It's a defense mechanism, guys. It's a classic defense mechanism. It's denial. That's what it is. The reality, though, is yes, they won this year. They beat a a really banged up Georgia team that, I don't want to say Stetson Bennett was a disaster at quarterback. He did a lot of good things for us. He helped us win some football games early in the year. But the guy that we had lining up under center was nowhere close to the guy that we should have had playing all year if he was healthy, the guy that we had at the end of the season, the guy that will be playing quarterback for us, God willing, knock on wood, as long as he doesn't get hurt, this year in Jacksonville. And also, look, in terms of the roster, going back to how important recruiting and having a more talented roster is, they can't touch us in recruiting. They have not and will not have a better roster than us while Kirby Smart is in Athens, as long as Dan Mullen's your head coach. Now, all bets are off. They fire Dan Mullen. They bring in some guy that can actually do some recruiting that's actually not a complete utter clown. All bets are off. But as long as Dan Mullen's the coach there and Kirby Smart's the coach in Athens, they will never have a overall stronger roster 1 through 85 than we do. They, they might have the right quarterback at times. Uh, they, they might have you know a guy like Kyle Pitts every now and then that helps them. But you know, the overall roster, their overall roster will never be as talented as ours. They just don't recruit on that level under Dan Mullen. They just simply don't. 
And you know what, guys? Next year and moving forward, they can't count on Stetson Bennett being our quarterback every season. They can't count on us being decimated by injury every season. Everyone is finally realizing that Dan Mullen is the biggest clown in America. Again, Florida fans know this now. They've, I've been talking about this for a couple of years now. Now he, he showed his true colors to everyone this year, and Florida fans know it too. Now, they, again, they don't want to admit it. They'll try to mask that insecurity, but they know it. And this year was their year. This was their year to do it. If they were ever going to rise up and beat us in the SEC East, it had to be this year, right? And to their credit, they did it. You got to give them credit. They did it. They had a good year. But let's not get fooled into thinking that this year was a sign of things to come. This was a blip on the radar. The you know this year, like in five or six years down the road, this is the year that we're going to point back and say, oh, Florida wasn't that cute. Oh, you guys, that's what we're going to do in five or six years. This is the blip on the radar. This is the anomaly. This is not a sign of things to come like Florida fans want to make it out to be. And that's like, we can't prove that right now. But again, five or six years, let's look back. And I think that's exactly how this is going to play out. But all right, is that quick enough for you, Charlie? It was. I, I mean, again, I could go a lot. I could go a lot longer. I should have timed it. I think it was like th- well, right. three, four minutes. We'll I don't know. We'll move on. You'll like this next question. So I know it's hard to believe, but spring practice. Is Let's less go. Than a month Let's away. go. March fifteenth. Trey is already looking ahead, as are you. Trey asks, "What are the most interesting position battles going into the spring?" Off the top of my head, first off, cornerback, definitely. We've talked about this a lot already in the offseason. I'm sure we'll talk about it a lot more, especially when we get to spring practice, see who's kind of going to kind of emerge a cornerback. But all jobs relating to the cornerback position are open. The two starting cornerback jobs, the star position, the money position in our dime package, all those jobs are literally wide open. There's a few guys that have been kind of pushed down the depth chart for a while now, like Amir Speed, William Poole. Those guys are still in the roster, and I'm sure they'll try to factor into it. We'll see. I, I I wish those guys the absolute best, but they haven't done it yet. I don't know. But we did see a guy like Latavius Brini, who hadn't really done much his entire career, really step up late in the season. So maybe those guys can step up. They'd be great. So that's really interesting. you got guys like Keely Ringo, who missed all last year with the labrum surgery. He is incredibly talented. I mean, I told you guys in the 2020 class, I thought he had a chance to be the top player in that overall class when it's all said and done when his career in Athens is over. I think he'd be a, a top five, top 10 type pick in the NFL draft. He's that kind of dude. Um, I am anxious to see what he looks like in college. We haven't seen that yet. You never know. I believe in him, but you never know. Uh, Jalen Kimmer is a guy that is a great athlete, needs to add some weight. We're getting a guy like Nylon Green as an early enrollee, as a true freshman this year. Uh, Javon Bullard, another guy, another true freshman. Kamari Laster will be coming in. Laster won't be here until the summer, so he won't factor in the spring. So that position is wide open, and that is the most intriguing battle to me off the top of my head. And then the other position I would look at, let's go on the offensive side of the ball. I would say offensive tackle, both tackle positions. I've been pretty open saying that I'm just not convinced that the two guys that started the bowl game, Warren McClendon at right tackle and Xavier Truss at left tackle, I'm not convinced that either one of those guys are long-term answers at those positions. I hope I'm wrong. I hope they have a great offseason and prove me wrong. And I saw some good things from McClendon throughout the season, but he really started to fade down the stretch. And I, I, I'm not going to lie. I got a little concerned with some of the things that I saw, especially with him against some, some of those speed rushers off the edge. And trust, you know, he didn't play a ton, but he did play in that bowl game. Same kind of issue. Big physical guy at left tackle. The foot speed, the foot quickness, I, I, I have questions about that when I go against some elite speed rushers that you're going to face in the SEC. So to see what those guys are going to be able to do, how much they've improved, see a guy like Marius Mims, see a guy like Broderick Jones, what are these guys going to be able to do and how that plays out? I think that's going to be a big key for this 2021 season as well. So certainly watch the tackle battle as well. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. 
Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. All right. We were all excited a few months ago to hear that Zeus and James Cook were returning for another season, but Paul is curious about how the running back situation will play out. He wants to know how in the world we are going to get everyone touches, assuming that all the guys stay healthy. What's your answer? I don't. I, I don't know if I have an answer, Charlie. I, I don't know. Like this is a great question, Paul, because this is a question I've had myself. Like. We have a lot of really talented guys that need touches, that deserve touches. They're probably going to transfer if they don't get touches. But I don't know how we're going to keep all of those guys happy. We had a tough time doing that this year. Even some of those guys were hurt. I mean, Zeus is probably going to be our number one guy. We're going to talk more about him later on this week. We're doing another edition of our uh, performance reviews series, and he will be featured on that episode. I think he'll be the first guy up. But he was the feature guy this year, and I imagine him coming back. He will probably be the feature back next year as well. James Cook is going to have his role. I think we've really started to figure out how to use him as the year went on last year. And I think him coming back will continue to build on that. I'm really excited to see what we can do with him. But the two guys that I get concerned about finding touches for are Kenny McIntosh and Kendall Milton. And I honestly believe, I, I, I'll go back, I'll straight up say, I, I mean, this is not new. You guys, if you listen to the show, you know, I, I was on Kenny McIntosh all year. I think Kenny McIntosh is our best all around back. I think he's the best combination of like Zamir White, James Cook. He, he can catch out of the backfield. He can run between the tackles. He's got great lateral quickness. He's not a, a necessarily a burner, but plenty of good enough speed. I love Kenny McIntosh. I, if I was out there trying to figure out what the depth chart should be at running back, I would have Kenny McIntosh number one. I would have him up at the top, but that's I don't think that's how it's going to play out. I think he's going to have to try to find his carries, get five or six a game. And Kendall Milton, how does he factor into it? I don't know. Kendall Milton's going to be a really good running back for us too. I don't know how we find touches for all these guys. I don't know. I don't know if you split it. Like, you know, Zeus gets 15 carries. Cook, you know, in a variety of ways can get seven to eight touches. And you try to get five touches each for McIntosh and Milton. Does that keep all those guys happy? We're not even talking about Lavoisier Carroll, who is a four-star prospect coming out of ING this year, who's, who brings a little bit different to the table. I mean, he's got, he, I would say he's probably going to be the fastest running back in the running back room as soon as he steps foot on the field. So I don't know, man. This is a really interesting question. I wish I had a better answer for you. I just don't know how it's going to play out. It's something I'm very much watching closely throughout spring practice as we get a fall camp down the road and certainly once the 2021 season gets here. I, I don't know. I don't have an answer. All right. I, I wish I know I'm supposed to have answers for these kind of things on this podcast, but, but I mean, I don't know. Like, I, I, do our coaches even know? Yeah. I don't, I, I don't, we have to, get, we have to get, get these guys out there in the practice field, see what they're doing and who's improved, who's fighting, who's working. And I guess it'll play itself out, but I don't know exactly how it's going to play out. All right. Well, here's another one. 
As you pointed out earlier, there are major holes in the secondary going into 2021, which means there's been a ton of speculation about Georgia looking into the transfer market to fill some of those holes. When former starting West Virginia cornerback Drayshawn Miller announced he was entering the portal a few weeks ago, it opened up a lot of eyes in Bulldog Nation, given his ties to our new DB coach, Jamil Adai. Yes, you got it right. Got Adai, it right. let's go. But earlier this week, Miller announced that he was heading to Auburn and not Athens. So Mason asks, what happened with Drayshawn Miller and where do we go from here with transfer options at defensive back? Yeah, it's a great question, Mason. I mean, I, I when I initially saw that Drayshawn Miller was transferring, entering the transfer portal, I mean, I tweeted something out immediately. I was like... Uh-oh, I guess it's a guy. Because we all know that we're with the situation at cornerback right now, the lack of experience there, it's obvious that we're going to at least be investigating the transfer portal, trying to find a transfer cornerback to bring in that can that can play right away. An experienced guy. And Dration Miller, when he first hit the transfer portal, like it seemed like it was too good to be true, right? Like this guy played at a really high level. I think he was one of the highest graded quarterbacks in the country based on pro football focuses, grades, and how they do their grading system. And then he was playing under our new DB coach who just got here. We have wide open battles at cornerback. We have no entrenched stars in that position. It just made sense like in every possible way that Athens would be a logical landing spot for Dration Miller. I thought this was going to be the guy. I, I when I first saw he was hitting the transfer portal, I was like, this is the dude. We got him. We got our transfer cornerback. In fact, I think Curtis texted me as soon as I put out a tweet. He's like, oh, dude, did we find our transfer cornerback? And I was like, yeah, I think we did. But I was wrong. Curtis was wrong. We're all wrong. It didn't happen. And I don't, again, it's another question. I guess I'm supposed to have answers, but I don't know the inside story here. I don't know enough about the inner workings of the West Virginia program and what's going on behind the scenes there. But I, I'll say this at the very least. Coach Adai our new DB coach, has far more knowledge of the situation and Dration Miller as a player and a person than we do. He would know if this is a guy that he wants to coach and bring to Athens. If Coach Adai did not jump after Miller immediately, you have to imagine there's a reason why. I'm not going to speculate as to what those reasons might be because that's just me throwing stuff against the wall and I, that's irresponsible. I don't, I don't know. But you just like logic would seem to indicate that there's something going on. Maybe they didn't get along. Maybe it's just not the, the kind of player that we're looking for from a link standpoint or a skill set standpoint. I don't know. But you have to imagine that Coach Adai and Kirby Smart talked about this and they came to the decision that Miller is not a guy that we were going to pursue. Because as far as I understand, we did not really pursue him at all. Like it wasn't like he chose Auburn over Georgia. It's like we just weren't really interested in him. And there, there has to be a reason why. If his own, his former DB coach from last year didn't want him or, or did not heavily pursue him, there's got to be a reason why. So I don't know what the reason is, but there's got to be something there behind the scenes. Uh, I, I still think that we try to grab a grad transfer cornerback or a, a transfer cornerback in some regard, but it's pretty clear at this point that we're not going to reach. There's a couple of guys that, you know, that have hit the market. That you're like, oh, that might be a guy that George would be interested in, but we haven't really gone after those guys. So it, it seems like we're kind of in a wait and see mode. I, it's certainly possible that our coaches want to wait until after spring practice and kind of see how the competition shapes up, see how a guy like Keely Ringo is ready to go. Is he ready to be a guy right away? How ready is Dylan Green as a true freshman? Jalen Kimber, Amir Speed, have these guys made moves? 
And maybe after spring practice, if we're not satisfied with where we are at the quarterback position with the guys that we currently have on roster, then maybe we try to go jump on somebody. And, and as often happens, guys, like with the transfers, a lot of these players, they'll go through spring practice with their current programs. And if they don't really make the move they want to, if things don't really happen the way they want them to happen, then they'll hit the they'll hit the transfer portal after that. So there could certainly still be some movement there, but it's pretty clear that we're not going to try to reach. We're going to wait and see how things transpire with the guys we currently have on the roster this spring and see if there's somebody that hits the portal that we are interested in. Um, and I, again, I don't have the answers there. I know people want to know like who's the guy we're going after. The guy that we're going after might not be in the transfer portal yet. We don't know. So we'll just have to wait and see. All right. Next up, Chris asks, is talent overrated and experience underrated in college football? He says that the Kentuckys and Cincinnati's of the world seem to close the talent gap when they are more ex- excuse me, when they are a more experienced team? This is a really good question. Chris, I want to apologize, man. I know you sent this question like right after we played Cincinnati in the bowl game, in the Peach Bowl. And so that's where he's coming from, guys. I don't want you to think like, well, Chris, like where's this question coming from? We had just, we had just played Cincinnati, clearly did not have the level of talent that we have on our roster, but they had a lot of experience at key positions. And so this is a very interesting question coming out of that game. So Chris, I appreciate your patience and letting us have a chance to get to this question. But to, to answer your question here, Chris, I, I do think experience matters. I think it'd be foolish to say that experience doesn't matter. But I would temper that and say that the experience that a player has doesn't matter if that player doesn't have at least a fair amount of talent. Like that experience still needs to be talented experience. Now, like you say, a guy that's maybe a, a three-star that is at Cincinnati, who has been a, a three or four-year starter playing against a, a five-star at Georgia who's a true freshman, then that can certainly level the playing field. So experience does matter. I am not going to sit here and say that it does not. But I would also say that you can't have a roster full of four-year stars that are complete bums, right? Like you can't have that. Like you could say, like, I always use Austin P as an example for as, the, as my quintessential baby seal. Austin P could have an entire roster of four-year stars. 85 guys, we can't have 85 guys in the start for four years. We could have like an entire two deep that's all returning guys. Every starter on offense and defense could be four-year starters. And you know what? They can come into Athens and we could have an entire starting offense, starting defense of all true freshmen. They're still not going to beat us because they just don't have that talent. So there has to be like a, a solid mix of experience and talent. Now, obviously the ideal situation would be to have an incredibly talented roster that's also experienced, which I think is what we're going to have in a lot of places on, at least in the front seven defensively this year. Not in the back end so much, the front seven, at least not a cornerback. The front seven, we have a lot of talent and experience. And that that mixing of the talent experience, that's what makes for a truly deadly football team. And I also say, I think, like, yes, experience matters, but I think it matters more at key positions. Like, do you need to be like uber experienced at linebacker, for example, or do you need to be uber experienced at running back or receiver? Like not necessarily. We saw Jermaine Burton. I know Jermaine Burton had his boneheaded moments where he's like, oh, wow, that I shouldn't say boneheaded moments. He had his true fresh moments. It was like, wow, you didn't see that side adjustment. Wow, you ran the wrong route. Wow, you don't seem to know what you're doing out there. But he also, against Mississippi State, almost broke the single game receiving record for Georgia football. And he did that as a true freshman. So there are some positions where it just isn't as important, but like a quarterback, obviously experience is important. Offensive line, especially the tackle positions, that's very important. The secondary, very important because if you're an experienced in the secondary, you have one bust and it's a touchdown. It's six for the other team. It's a big play. It could change the game. So there are positions where I think experience is much more important. Um, but yeah, I mean, experience does matter and it, it can level the playing field if the more talented team is very inexperienced at key positions. But 
I've said this before, I'll say it again. I will still take talent over experience if I had to choose because teams like Cincinnati and Kentucky, like with, like Kentucky in 2000, was it 2018, right, Charlie? 2018? Yeah, 2018 is when they, they were competing for the SEC East, right? We go to Kentucky after the, the game in Jacksonville. That was for the SEC East. That's, that's how that game was built or build. And we go in there and we smack them. We win and we win the SEC East. We know that. But Kentucky had a really good year that year. But Kentucky really hasn't been that good since that point. So teams like that, like Cincinnati and Kentucky, they usually have to cycle up every four to five years. Just when they get old, when they get that experience, they can be dangerous. But then once that experience moves on, they graduate, those programs drop off before they have to build back up, go through that same process and repeat the cycle all over again. So I would certainly take talent over experience. But yeah, I mean, experience, I do think can be undervalued at times in college football. I will grant you that, Chris. I'll agree there. All right. Well, we all know recruiting never stops, and we just closed out one class, and now we're working on the 2022 class, which currently sits at number two nationally. Grayson wants to know, who is at the top of your wish list for the 2022 recruiting class? Yeah, it's very early. We are number two, as you mentioned, Charlie. It's it's very, very early. I always caution that, but look, we're going to finish somewhere in the top three. That's just what Kirby Smart does. Uh, at the top of my wish list, there's a couple of guys kind of my first guy at the top of my head. I'm going to go Branson Robinson. Uh, at a Germantown High School, I think it's Germantown High School in Mississippi, five foot ten, two hundred twenty pound running back. That is just this like incredible hulking physical specimen of a football player. I mean, I think his deadlift and squat is like thirteen hundred pounds, over thirteen hundred pounds combined. That's crazy stuff. So, and when you look at him, like there's some clips that made the rounds out there on social media of him deadlifting and squatting insane amounts. I think deadlifting over 600 pounds, squatting like 550 or something for a couple of reps, doing some insane stuff. And you look at him and you just look at his body, like, dude, he's, he's, he's got to have some stiffness in this game, right? He can't be that good of a running back. He can't move that well when you're that big. But you turn on the tape and you're like, oh, whoa, yeah, he does move that way. He's, he's got the wiggle that I did not see from a guy that's that kind of weightlifting. He's got that wiggle, the acceleration, the burst, the balance, all the, the nuances of playing that position that you need to have, the athletic traits. He's got all those and got really good speed as well. This guy is somehow right now only ranked number 423 nationally. I think he's a five-star running back. I have not had a chance to watch all the running backs and go through all their tape yet, but I've watched a number of them. I think, I mean, he's as good as any running back I've seen on tape in this 2022 class to this point. I'm gonna keep watching more guys and we'll see who comes to the top there, but he's as good as anybody. And he's a he's totally 100% a five-star guy. If he does not move up dramatically in the next recruiting rankings update, like why do we even pay attention to recruiting rankings? That's crazy. This guy's only number 423. He's gonna be a star. I want him now. And the other guy is a guy that I... He's he's committed elsewhere, so that's why I have Robinson at the top. But Travis Hunter out of Collins Hill is currently committed to Florida State. This dude is the definition of an electric athlete at wide receiver. Now, he plays receiver and DB. He could probably play either one the next level. I would put him at receiver because I think he's that kind of new age. He's not the exact carbon copy of a Tyree Kill or uh, DeAndre Hopkins, but like that kind of receiver. 6'1", 165 pounds, and just electric with the ball in his hands. And I know you might say, well, 6'1", 165, isn't that kind of small? Guys, uh, you know who was also 6'1", 160 pounds coming out of high school? Oh, yeah, the guy who just won the Heisman Trophy. Devontae Smith coming out of high school, 6'1", 160 pounds. So don't, I'm not saying that Travis Hunter's going to win the Heisman Trophy, but Travis Hunter is a dynamic athlete. I mean, talk about playmaker, wide receiver. We've talked all year about how winning at the highest level in college football now is about having 
elite offensive players, having those dynamic weapons. That's what Travis Hunter is. Some way, somehow, we got to figure out a way to flip this guy from Florida State because he is like one A on my wish list behind Branson Robinson. He might even, I don't know, maybe I, maybe I want Hunter more than Robinson, to be honest with you, but he's just, he's committed somewhere else right now. So maybe it's more of an uphill battle, but Travis Hunter, I am not giving up. It's still early in the process. You're a Georgia guy. Come on home. We got Gunnar Stockton in this class. Gunnar Stockton, go do your job. Recruit this guy. Get him in the fold. We need both those guys. Branson Robinson, Travis Hunter, probably as of right now, top two on my list. Subject to change, but right now, we'll go with that. All right. And our last couple of questions focus on the basketball team. Kyle wants to know, if you were coaching Georgia's basketball team, what one change would you implement this season to get a few more wins? Charlie, what would you do? I know you're I you're no really idea. you're really into basketball. I know you're, it's all you tweet about. It's all you talk about. I, I know you're being sarcastic. I know nothing about basketball. Yeah, I know. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to put yeah. you on the spot there. I mean, I didn't mean to put you on the spot, but sorry. Uh, what would I do? Well, okay. So let's just say this. Look, we're terrible on defense. We gave up 115 points to Alabama. That I mean, that's unforgivable, and that's not necessarily like <laughs> an anomaly. That's kind of just what we are. We're usually not that bad, but we're not good defensively. So what I would do with that in mind is I would just lean into that, okay? We don't consistently defend in the half court. We get lost out there. We have no size whatsoever. We have no real shot blockers. I mean, I guess you could say Kamar can be a weak size shot blocker at times. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't help enough. He doesn't always know what he's doing. He fouls too much. So I would press more on defense, number one. That's what I would do. We like to play fast anyway on offense. So let's just fully lean into that lifestyle out there on the court and try to speed our opponent up. What that would do, like, it, sure, like, does that mean that our opponents are going to get some easy looks at times when they break the press? Sure, absolutely. But they get easy looks already as it is. So why does it matter? But you know what pressing would do? It would also allow us to force some more turnovers, get us out in transition, which is where we excel offensively. So absolutely. I'm not saying I would press every single possession, but I would mix a heck of a lot more up into what we do defensively than we do now. I, I would say at least half the game I'd be pressing on defense. I mean, I'm talking full court, not half court press. I'm talking full court press, like old school, like press Virginia from the, you know about five or six years ago with West Virginia and Bob Huggins over there. That's what I would be doing because we just we can't defend the half court. We simply cannot. So we got to try something else. We've got to try something else. Why not press a little bit more? I know that that wears guys out. I understand that. We don't have a ton of quality depth. I get all that. But let's try to press a little bit more, speed teams up, lean fully into that lifestyle on the court, try to force some turnovers, get in transition, maybe get some easy buckets on the other end. That's what I would do. Another thing that I might also start to look at a little bit more seriously, and we've done this a little bit, like we did this against Missouri, we had a lot of success with it when they didn't have uh, Jeremiah Tillman in the lineup. I would go with a four guard lineup. Again, we have no size. We have no size. So just accept who we are and lean into it. Go with a four-guard lineup. Let's play four out and one in. And sometimes with Kamara on the court, we can play five out. He can play on the perimeter. And what that would do is create space, create driving lanes for guys like Severe Wheeler and... Um, and Ty Fagan and Katie Johnson create space and driving lanes for those guys who can slash the rim and make some plays. Again, like we have no size. Let's stop trying to play guys that are six foot six at center. That's not going to work out. I love Andrew Garcia. The guy works really hard. The guy can't play center. He can't really even play power four. I mean, he can he, he can score at, at times in the post. Defensively, though, he's a liability. 
Because he's 6'6". He can't, he can't defend those guys that are 6'9", 6'10", 7 foot. He simply cannot do it. So let's just go four-guard lineup. Our best scores are our guards. Let's get four guards out there on, on the court at all times. We've got enough of those guys. We can rotate them. And um, I don't know. And just, again, lean into what we do. Let's play the up-tempo pace. And the four guards out there allow us to do more of that. All right, last question. Terry wants to know how many wins the Georgia basketball team will end up with at the end of the season, and will it be enough to save Tom Crean's job? Wins? I'm going to go. I'm gonna say he's talking about conference wins here. Um, at least that's how I'm going to interpret this question. So we're at six right now. I think we'll get two more. Um, we got LSU at home Tuesday night. We almost beat LSU. We lost to, lost to them in Baton Rouge by two. I think it was 94-92 earlier in the year. God, we should have won that game. We blew that game. That was without Katie Johnson. LSU is more talented than us, but they don't play any, they're like us. They don't play any defense. And offensively, like, it's just like what I classify as my turn ball. Like, each time of the court, a different guy gets the ball and says, it's my turn. I'm going to go one-on-one. That's what they do. There's no cohesiveness on that offense whatsoever. It's just, it's it's terrible basketball. I don't like watching it. They're not, I don't think they're very good. I think we have a chance to win that game. I think we can absolutely beat South Carolina at home. And I hope to God that we are able to get the game against AM rescheduled because we can go into AM and win that game. That would give us eight conference wins. And I absolutely think that's enough to save Tom Crean's job. That's not enough to get in the tournament. I understand that, but it's progress, right? You get two wins, I think two conference wins in year one five conference wins last year. If we get to seven or eight this year, which I absolutely think that we can, I firmly expect us to get, we we are going to get to seven wins. We'll get at least one more. I think we can get to eight. Also, if you count the SEC tournament, I do think that's enough to get him another year on the job and see what he can do in year four. And I think he probably should if he can get to eight wins. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. All right, Charlie, is that it? That's it for the All right, you got a few minutes here? You want to talk a little tennis? Sure. Real fast? All right. So another great week in the Classic City. Yep. Beautiful weekend. Friday, um, it was a little chilly out there. Got a little windy w- with the men's match. So the guys took on number three, Tennessee, in Athens on Friday afternoon. It was a great match. We made a run. We end up falling a little bit short. We lose the match 4-2. But there were some extenuating circumstances there, Charlie, right? Yep. Blake Carter got hurt in doubles. Messed up singles lineup. Tyler yeah. Zink still is nowhere to be seen. And so... I don't have the inside information on Zinc, but... I think he might be sick. I would say I think he is um, at least in, was in quarantine because yeah. we had to cancel the match against UCF last Saturday and um, he did not. He was not out there on Wednesday when we had the, the match put together against Georgia Southern. So And he wasn't out there at all with the teams. I didn't see him, period, at all. He's our, he, had, well, he had been playing court three singles, most recently been playing all the way up to court two against Georgia Tech. So not having him was already a blow. Because what that did is it completely messed up our doubles lineups. The double lineups, no one was playing with their, no, their normal doubles partner. But even despite that, we were still up a break on court one with Trent Bride and Blake Croyder before Blake, as you mentioned, hurt his back. I guess maybe the fourth game of that match. And he t- 
to his credit, he fought and kept trying to stay out there and play. He couldn't move. He couldn't serve, couldn't do anything. So basically, Trent Bride was playing two-on-one. We were up a break. We ended up losing that match. We actually up two breaks on court three, ended up somehow losing that match. We lose a doubles point. And then now with Blake Croyder out, who is one of he plays court four singles for us, Tyler Zink, who had been playing court two singles for us, two of our top four singles players are out. Our line, our singles lineup was a complete, I don't want to say a mess, but basically everybody from court three down was playing up two courts. So Billy Rowe, who's been playing court five for us, had to play court three and did really well. Were you impressed with Billy on court three? Yeah. I mean, he lose, he lost the first set, was able to come back, win the second set. He was up a break in the third set, was going to win, but Philip Henning, who won the first set, uh, lost the second set. He lost a tough one in the second set. I thought he was going to get that one. He was just gassed. I think he might also have been quarantined recently and had not maybe been practicing the team. It was a little gassed there in the third set, and um, that one got away from him. So we ended up losing 4-2. But Charlie, I got a take on that match. If we were fully healthy with every player on our roster available to us, I think we beat Tennessee. Yeah, but we didn't. We weren't healthy, so we didn't win. But my take is I, I feel actually better about that team. It's kind of like after the UNC match with the women. I felt better. Even though we lost that match, I felt really good about the team coming out, out of that match. I feel the same way about the guys. You don't do you do you feel that way? Like when you look at this team? Yeah, but it's still a loss. So hopefully we'll get to beat them in the SEC championship. Or not the championship, but the in the tournament. SEC tournament. Yeah, I agree. Like I mean Tennessee, they're they are a good team, but I think we were every bit as good as them when we're healthy. And so I, I'm very anxious to play them. I would love to have another chance to play Tennessee so that we can actually uh, prove that and beat them. Because, I mean, it was encouraging. It's the number three team in the country who, who last week can beat two top five teams, the national indoors. And we were right there. Even without two of our top four singles players, our double lineups were all messed up. And we still were just basically one match away from winning that. If Philip Henning had won that match in court two, we were going to win that match overall and beat Tennessee, beat the number three team in the country. So, yeah, we lost. You're right, Charlie. But I still feel really good about this team. The SEC's tough. Florida's really good. A&M's really good. There are some tough teams that we've got to face coming up. South Carolina's pretty good. But I, I still feel really good about this team if we can get everyone back healthy and ready to go, which should happen here shortly. We've got two more home matches this weekend for the men. We've got, I believe it's Ole Miss on Friday at 2.30 and then Mississippi State on Sunday at 1 o'clock. So you get a chance. Come out and watch. See some high-level tennis. And, of course, we've got to talk about the women's team, Charlie. That was just a dominating performance against Tennessee on Sunday. Was It, it was 4-0. It would have been 7-0, right? Yeah, it would have been 7-0. What was your big takeaway? Because there are a couple of things, I, even though it was an absolute bloodbath, like we just dominated them. And that was the number 19 team in the country, by the way, that wasn't just some scrub team. Any big takeaways from that match? Anything you saw them as being encouraging? Marta played, so Elena was on court six, which was nice. So having two seniors down on five and six is always comforting. I think it stabilizes courts five and six for us. Like I, feel, I feel really strong about that. And unfortunately, Marta and Elena, they weren't, neither one of them were able to get the win because Meg Kowalski clinched on court three, so their matches went unfinished. They were both well on their way to winning those matches. I think Elena was up 5-1 in the second set, so she was about to win, but she didn't get the W there. But it was great to see Marta back out there. She'd been nursing and wrist injuries, so to see her back out there was really encouraging. I think that really makes us even stronger than we were prior to that. What about Leah Ma on court two? I like watching her play. So Leah is... Well, technically, it's her second year on campus, right? But technically, they call her a freshman because last year didn't count, apparently, because it got cut halfway short. But she is an incredibly talented tennis player. And this is not a criticism. As most young players are, whatever sport you're talking about, there are sometimes some consistency concerns. Is that fair to say? Yes. 
Like you can watch her play and you see her her hit some just insane shots. Like, oh my god, Leah, that is ridiculous. That's just way too good. And then she comes back and she's like airmail one. It's like, what what? Leah, like what what's happening? But she's so talented. And I will say, now the the girl she was playing against on Sunday did not belong in the same court as Leah Ma. No, she didn't. Like, I, I, I mean, I don't feel bad for opponents usually, especially if they play for Tennessee. She I, wanted it to be over. Yeah. I felt bad for this girl. And like, you could just see in her face, like, she was like, what can I even do? Like, Leah was just messing, like, playing with her. And, like, it, like, it was it was bad. Um, But I think Leah played as well and as consistently for a full match as I had seen her play since she's been here in Athens. Yeah, I agree. I, I thought she played fantastic tennis. If she can continue to play like that, Ooh, we uh, we're gonna we're a different team because against North Carolina, she lost that match. And she really wasn't competitive in that match. Uh, now, granted, uh, the girl she was playing was ranked number I think number six. No, I think she was number four. The girl in court two. The girl in yeah, court okay. six was number three. They had three. Yeah, North Carolina has three singles players in the top ten yeah. in the top six, which is crazy. Uh, but she wasn't really competitive there. But she she kind of got a little groin injury. She's been battling through that. But she played lights out tennis. And to me, that's my big takeaway. I mean, I know that Cat's awesome. Cat's always awesome. Meg does what Meg does on court three. We know what we've got down there with Marta and Elena. Court two, we need someone. To, we need Lee to step up and be that player consistently. Because if she does that, it takes this team to another level. And I saw that from her on on Sunday afternoon I was just blown away with the kind of sense that she was playing and if she can just continue to do that consistently whoo this team might be a like legitimate national title contender which I already think they are but like that just takes it up another notch so as you can tell I am very excited Charlie and I are both very excited about both the men and the women's tennis programs this season I think they both have a chance to certainly compete in the SEC and maybe even for more than that it's going to be a lot of fun to follow all spring long, kind of keeps the, the football offseason blues away, at least for a little while. And we'll definitely have it covered for you guys here on the Glory UGA podcast. I also want to throw a couple more shout outs out there. I want to throw a shout out to Coach Joni Taylor and the women's basketball team. We don't get a, a chance to really talk much women's basketball here on the podcast, but man, what another awesome win for the Lady Dogs this season, beating Tennessee for the second time, this time 57 55 at home getting us our first sweep of Tennessee since I was like six months old. Seriously, it's the first sweep of Tennessee for the Lady Dogs in 36 years since 1985. It's been a long time. So Joni, there were a couple of tough years there for a little while, but she has got this program on track. They're having a fantastic year. They're in line right now to get at least a three seat, looks like right now, if we finish strong. So, but potentially could get all the way up to a two seed, depending on what happens in the SEC tournament. So, the Lay Dogs are flat out getting it done on the hard court. So, I want to throw them a shout out out there. And the the baseball team started the season, opened their season this past weekend with a series win over Evansville, won three out of four over Evansville, which is a great start to the season, especially considering we have uh, two our top two starters are not available right now. And the plan is right now, later on this week, to do a, I guess, I guess we're going to call it a baseball preview show. We wanted to get that done last week before the season actually started, but we also got a chance to get Coach Drake Bernstein from the women's tennis team on the show. We wanted to make that happen, so that took precedent and kind of pushed the baseball preview show that we were going to do, push that back to this week. So yeah, I know technically the season's already open. We've had one series, but still got a lot of baseball in front of us, so we're going to try to put together a little baseball preview show for you guys later on this week. We had a couple of, of inquiries about that, so we'll check it that done for you guys. And then Curtis will be back with me later on this week as well to do part two of our performance review series. 
We'll be looking at a number of other players from this past season and taking a look at what they did well, what they can improve on, and what we can expect from those guys moving forward. So as you guys know, we don't ever stop here on the Glory UJ podcast. We keep going all year long, football offseason or not. We've got you guys covered. So thanks for listening, guys. We always appreciate it. For Charlie, I'm Tyler. And as always, go dogs. <laughs>